Well, church, as you know, I always want to encourage you guys to pray. And let me tell you, if you ever say, I don't have much to pray about. Well, now there is lots, lots in the world to pray about. Pray for our brothers and sisters across the world and pray for our leaders to be wise and to make right choices and pray that just pray peace comes about. That's what, that's what we want. Peace. That's what we want. Peace, peace, peace. I also encourage you to read the Word of God as much as you can, and especially in, uh, in, today, in light of today's message and everything that's going on in the world. I, tell, I love Psalm 37. Read Psalm 37. I've been reading that like for the past last year and this year. That Psalm, just, I just keep reading it. I encourage you to read it. And if you want to focus on a verse, uh, 30, uh, you can focus on 39 through 40 on Psalm 37. And you know, the, the reason you know, why we read Scripture so much uh, here, and I encourage you to read Scripture, is because people fail. People will fail you all the time, but God's Word never will fail you. And that, that's why we read it, and, and you're called to be in it, and, and, and to have it be upon your heart, because that's where the hope is. You're going to find it in Scripture. And I, as a pastor, my goal when I preach is to make much of Christ and His ways, which is found in Scripture. That's why we gather, to hear Christ. So let us, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before You today. Lord, I know on my heart it's very heavy for just everything that's going on in the world, Lord. And I know that many of us here, it's the same way. Some of us... we. I haven't really paid much attention, but Lord, it doesn't matter. Because in the end, our prayers go to you, and we are united with our brothers and sisters across the world. And God, we know we have hope as we pray to you. We know that you're in control of all things. And God, we, as I say almost every Sunday, we pray for all the churches meeting across the world. The ones that are going to now be meeting underground, in homes, on, in, in deserts, in, in abandoned areas, under trees that have no leaves. Lord, wherever they are meeting, God, we pray for just peace that goes beyond understanding to come upon their soul. Just like here, Lord, as we have gathered, we have been blessed with such a wonderful place to come and gather in your name. Lord, bless us to, to know that you are sovereign and nothing is by chance. That it's all going according to your plan and it's going to work out for your glory. And that's why we continue to get up every morning. That your name and your glory be shown to the world. Thank you, Lord, for that hope. Now convict us of our sins so we can place our faith in you more and more. Show how weak we are. Help us realize, Lord, we are not strong. We are weak without you. That our strength means nothing but through faith in Christ. That's how we become strong, through your grace and grace alone. Be with those, Lord, who are not here today. Be with those online. God, you are so good. I pray that today, Lord, that this is a day that we just honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just for the past few years, it just seems like there's so much going on in the world. And now with what's going on in Ukraine, I, it's just a lot to take in. I mean, you know, how are we, 
how are we supposed to approach such huge events in our life? <laughs> I mean, there's just so much corruption and pain and destruction going on. Really, it makes you wonder, what in the world are we supposed to do or say as Christians? I mean, I'll be honest, I ask myself that every week, all the time. Every time I come up to this pulpit here, I look out into the world, I'm like, woo! And I look out at you guys and I say, oh God, what do I tell your people? Especially in times such as these. You know, we're here in, here in America, in California. There's no physical war going on. I mean, people aren't dying in the streets. They're not dead. You don't see any dead bodies. You know, there's no threat from a tank or, or a rocket here. So, what should, you know, I, what should I say? What should we say as people across the world are dying and running and, or fighting for their lives? You know, that's just us looking on the outside, looking, looking over what's going on in the world with our hearts breaking. Imagine being in it, right? I mean, what in the world are the Christians there supposed to do or say in the middle of it all? I mean, you realize that, you know, we have Christian brothers and sisters there. Whatever you may think of the countries, there are Christians there, you know, who are Christian families who are facing terrifying moments, you know, things that we, we literally have nightmares of. They're facing it. You know, what, what, should, what should in the world should they do? What should they say? What do their pastors tell them to give them comfort? You know, what do their pastors say to those families who have suffered loss and death and are, or, or dealing with the, lo- of threat, of the threats of loss and death? You know, I mean, that, that's a mind trip. Well, here's the thing. There is a, one Christian has stated something there, and I'm going to mispronounce his name. God forgive me. Yaroslav, he's the president of the Ukraine Baptist Theological Seminary. And this is what he said as, as Russia has invaded Ukraine. This is, this is what he said. This is, this is, this is from... The horse's mouth. He says, the church will go underground. We had that under the Soviet Union. The church did not forget what it means to be persecuted. We will rearrange, reorganize, and do what we always do. Preach the gospel. And it's that last part that got to me. You know, do, do what we always do. Preach the gospel. See, it's the gospel of God's grace that gives true hope. That gives true comfort. That gives true freedom. That gives true unity. And gives true life to all men. God's word, which, points to the, which all points to the gospel, is what people need. It is truly all they have in this world, and it is the only truth that can make any real or true difference in our lives or the world's. And as practical or as idealistic it may seem, I know many think that way. 
It's not. There is power in the gospel. There is power in God's infallible and inspired word. For it is truth. And Jesus said in John 8, 31, the truth will set you free. So today, as we look over our text then of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, we're going to see the truths of Scripture that are related to the gospel, because everything points to it, the, the truths that truly set us free and unify us all as the one people of God through faith in Christ. For the same words that, that we have in our Bible. The Christians across the world, like in Ukraine, for in it, for in the Bible, they, as with us, today they find life and comfort and hope in it for such moments as these. So let us then look at the scripture with kind of fresh eyes, a new perspective, with a unified mind with our brothers and sisters across the world. So then we, as we look at our text, we can, today we can kind of see the elements of Christian unity that we have together. Truths that uplift the soul to keep us pressing on in Christ. Now, now, um, I want us to read the text real quick here. We're going to get a bird's eye view of it before we kind of break it down, get down, whatever it may be. Um, And I want you to notice something. I want you to notice how many times Paul uses the word one. And on a side note, you should always kind of keep that in mind as you're looking at the text. See how many times a word or phrase is kind of repeated um, in, in a section of Scripture or maybe just in a book at large of the Bible, because there's a reason and there's a point why the author is trying to do such a thing. But anyways, let's look then at um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and see how many times he uses this word, one. He states, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And the word one there is kind of, if you picked up on it seven times, that's how many times he uses it. And you, now you should ask, well, why? Why use it so many times? Well, Paul here, he's stressing the truth. He's stressing that the truth stated here in Scripture, which are all related to the gospel, for all God's words point to the gospel, Paul is saying that these truths here are are common to all Christians. Not some, not for a select few, not just for those in full-time ministry, but to all Christians. These truths are the truths that all Christians have in common and that they can unite under and in together. They notice here Paul is not saying unify over your age. Unify over the status of your life or your politics or your race or your sex. He's saying you need to realize that you are united. You need to realize you are united in the truth, which is why you can and do have true unity with each other. These are the truths, some of the truths, right? Not an exhaustive list, but some of the truths that we have. Or put differently, you always have something in common with the Christian next to you. Even the person that you haven't really spoken to, maybe sit in front of you like, who's that? I don't know. 
Or even the person you don't really care for. You're like, oh, I'm so glad they're sitting way over there. I don't have to say hi to them after church. I can just go. I know you say that. (laughs) You have these truths in common with them to be united with them in Jesus. And one other thing here that needs to be kind of pointed out, uh, if you pay closer attention to the text, Paul makes mention of these, of these uh, uh, makes mention in these three verses each person of the Trinity or the Godhead. In verse 4, he speaks of the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he speaks of Jesus. And in verse 6, he speaks of God the Father. Three persons, yet one God. How that works, I don't know, but it does. That's who our God is. Now, why does that matter? Why, why, why am I pointing that out? Well, Paul is pointing out that our unity with each other is found in and based in, ultimately, the God of the Bible. Or more specifically, our unity with each other is based in our relationship with God and His relationship with us. It is God who brings us together and keeps us together. And these truths that we see here are a reflection of that. Which brings us then to our first point. The elements of Christian unity is found in the Holy Spirit. So in verse 4, Paul says there is one body. And man, he has been speaking about that a lot in this book. He spoke about it in chapter 1 of Ephesians, chapter 2, chapter 3, and now in chapter 4. Why is he bringing this up again? Well, before we answer that and kind of go a little bit deeper, I want us to look at what Paul is not saying by bringing it up again. If we think of the context, right, to which he is writing, he's writing to Christian Jews and Gentile uh, and, 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 and Gentile uh, Christians. So Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who are having a problem of uniting with each other as a one people in God, in their churches, because of their differences. You know what the most practical answer could be to solve that problem? What most people would probably say in the world, and what Paul does not say at all. He never even hints at it. Paul could have just said, well, have two separate churches. A meeting of the time of the Jewish Christians and a time of the Gentile Christians. Done. Problem solved. But guess what? That's not what he says. And that wouldn't solve their ultimate problem. Because the issue is a heart issue. That's the problem. See, he gave... He, he gave the truth of how we need to see ourselves. He didn't say, we'll just create two churches. He says, no, one body. He gave the truth of how we need to view ourselves and see ourselves with other Christians who are different. It doesn't matter, he said. He says, we are to see each other spiritually as one body here on earth and with those who are in heaven. We are to approach each other and deal with each other in this truth, in our hearts, in our minds, that we are spiritually one body. What 
What he is against here is viewing ourselves in isolation from other believers in our local church or in other denominations or from Christians around the world. So you you might ask then, well, is Paul then in principle, or this is getting practical with it, is Paul in principle saying that he's against having denominations in Christianity? You know, like Presbyterians, Calvary Chapel, EV Free, Southern Baptists, Foursquare, so on, go on and on and on. No, not necessarily. Which is why he uses the term body, which is an analogy for the one church. Rather than just saying church in this context of truths which unify us or are common to all Christians, he uses the term body, one body. Because a body is composed of different parts that make up one body. So true is the church of Jesus Christ. We are one body. So the problem is not that we have differences, which we all will. The problem is that is not that we all have different preferences, which we all will. The problem is when we stop working and seeing each other as one body in the Lord. All right, you can only fit so many people in here. And people have different issues, different things that they're working with, and different churches can help others in. See, when, when, when we stop, we're called not to, to stop seeing or really, we are called to start seeing the benefits that our differences and preferences bring to each other in Christ as one body. Amen. For Paul, then, ultimately, the issue is, not so much, well, how many denominations, the, the key for him is, it's vital that we are unified in Christ as his one body, and we live that way amongst each other and other Christians in our neighborhood or across the world. So I'm, I'm going to get real for a moment here. All right. What does this mean then for us here in this room? Right, let's take it on a smaller scope. That was like the big view. So let's get here. Being one body. This truth of one body. What does that mean for you and me? It means that you, as a believer in Christ, you play an important role here in this church, no matter what you may think. Now, you may think, well, how do I play a vital role in this church? I don't lead no Bible study. I don't preach from the pulpit. That's your job, preacher. I ain't getting up there. I'm not on the worship team. I'm not on the tech team. And so on and so on and so on. Well, let me tell you, you play a vital role here because guess what? By you coming here, And by going to Bible studies Sunday morning or during the week or going to the different events, coming to this very service, it sure does give encouragement to those who are doing and serving in such leadership roles. It helps them. It promotes them to use their gifts even more. And guess what? you benefit from their gifts even more 
Because they are encouraged by your encouragement of being the one body of, of Christ, uniting with them, such as Sunday morning or during the week. You become encouraged, and they become encouraged, and next thing you know it, everyone's encouraged, and you're having a party in the encouragement in Jesus. And I'm going to go even deeper. By you being here, the one body passively disciples the person next to you. Because your presence, by you being here, says to them, I am here with you through trials such as this in our life. We are in this together. Even if you never say a word to the person next to you, it is comforting to those around you, for we are saying we are one body in Christ, even though we may be different. I am joining with you in singing to Jesus Christ. I am joining with you in praying to our Lord. I am joining with you to be nourished by His Word. I am joining with you to say, Jesus has saved a sinner such as I. See, being a body, we all serve in different ways. Sometimes it is actively, like watching and teaching the children in children's ministry to encourage the moms and dads to keep going in Jesus so they can have a moment of rest on Sunday mornings to just worship the Lord and not have a kid pulling on their shirt. And for others, it's simply sitting in the pew with a welcoming smile saying, I'm glad you're here to worship in Jesus. You all play a vital role, whether it's active or passive. We're all in this together. We all serve in one way or another. So you know gathering and uniting in Christ on Sunday mornings you play a vital role here in displaying that we are one body in the Lord through faith in Christ and you encourage other Christians to do the same. And Paul then links this one body truth with one and one spirit. For the body is unified by the one spirit, the Holy Spirit. All of us, no matter when or how long we've been a Christian, we all are unified in the Holy Spirit. He's not speaking of a, a spirit of unity of the mind, which, is, which will work out, but that's not the goal here. That's not what he's getting at. He's saying we are unified in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He is upon us and with us and guiding us. Only believers, those who are in the one body, have the Spirit in their life. And notice that the Spirit here is not divided. It's one Spirit. The same Spirit. You either have the Holy Spirit within you or you don't. That's it. So all Christians have the same Holy Spirit working in their lives and working in them the same way. Now, we all have different issues that He's working us with and different ways that He's empowering us to live in different contexts of life, but it's always with the same way in that it's the same goal. The Holy Spirit regenerates our souls to give us new life and convicts us of our sins. This is common 
to all Christians on this side of eternity. Our sins become more and more exposed by Him working upon our hearts, minds, and souls. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. That's the same for all of us. That is His job, to convict us of our sins, which reveal our deep and constant need of our dependence of faith in Jesus Christ. He also sanctifies us by promoting and empowering us to be obedient to the Lord and His ways. He empowers, not you, He empowers us to do it. It's through His power, not yours. And it says this in Ezekiel 36, verse 27. God says, and I will put my spirit within you, the Holy Spirit, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That doesn't come from you. That doesn't come from me. It comes from God alone. He does all the work. We just receive it. Now, will we do this perfectly? No. And guess what? The Holy Spirit will be there to reveal your sin. If you're not being convicted of sins, you should ask yourself, where where am I with the Lord? But guess what? He'll also be there to pick you up and remind you that the sins that you have done have been completely forgiven in Christ. And He will empower us then to do the very things we're called to do. It's all by Him. How He does that, I don't know. I just know He does. It's amazing. All things work for the good of those who love the Lord. This one Spirit that we have in all of us is the one that helps us, empowers us to live out the truth that we are the one body, even though we're so different. It is through our union in Him that brings us all together with those in this room and with those around the world. It is through Him we can suffer with those who are suffering, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and encourage those who need encouragement, even if we are never able to meet our brothers and sisters face to face on this side of eternity. You know, your prayers make a difference in other people's lives because God's doing it. Through Him, we are in this thing called life together. And by Him, we will make it to the next. It is in His power we will work together, overcoming any differences that might try to divide us. And through His work upon our hearts, we are the very one people of God that we are called to be. The one body. Which is why Paul then says in verse verse 4-4, that passes, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Wait, what? What is this? Paul's basically saying here, remember the Holy Spirit, still dealing with the Holy Spirit in verse 4, was given to you, as Ephesians 1.14 says, as the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So Paul is centering on the truth of the one hope now we all share that all believers have because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. He is the down payment, if you will, that we have now as the one body, the down payment of being with God for eternity in heaven. The Holy Spirit is a taste of that hope. He is there to remind us of the calling we all have through faith in Christ. So we are not only united as one body who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we're also united in that all of us have the same exact destination, the same place. It's called heaven. We all share the same future. 
For we all have been called by God to be with him for eternity through faith in Christ. And the, uh, and the Spirit is there to remind us of that. Now, why does this matter? Well, think of it. All those people who annoy you in church. I know they do, okay? Let's just be honest here. We're sinners. All those Christians out there in the world, or maybe here, who you think, I just don't get them at all. I just, gah! Guess what? They're going to be with you for eternity. (laughs) Of course, of course, without sin, same with you, without sin, once you get to heaven. But the point is, the the hope is we're all going to be in the same place. And it's not just like, I hope so. It's, It's a hope like, I know so. So we should start seeing other Christians as our people. Your people, speaking of them as my people. And not just, you know, the negative side of the, you know, the downside. But we know what this also means on a positive, in a different light. When you make friends with other Christians here on earth, you are literally making a friend for eternity. And what a hope that is to all of us who have lost friends and loved ones in the Lord. Who have passed away. You're going to see them again. You have a friend for eternity. Amen? Amen. All right, I've got a man up. No more crying here. And then anyways, Paul continues right then in verse 5. For more common truths we all have as Christians... He says in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, So just as you know, the first three truths are centered around the Holy Spirit. Paul now gives three more truths centered around Jesus that unites us all. And that brings us to our second point. The elements of Christian unity is found in Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord, and what the Paul points out here is that there is only one Lord referring to Christ. And what he means by the Lord is that all Christians are unified by their ultimate allegiance to Jesus. For all of us, we're purchased by his blood. We are under his care, his love, his grace, his mercy, his favor, and his sovereign protection is over all of us. He is the absolute authority in our life now, and what he says goes, and his ways are the right ways. He is our Lord. So all Christians are unified in this truth To Him alone, we place all of our faith in and we obey Him. We trust Him and love Him and honor and worship Him and glorify Him in all that we do. For He is the only one Lord. There is only one Jesus, and He is the Jesus that is revealed in the Bible, the God-man. Truly man and truly God. So life becomes all about making Him known. He And if He is at the center of all that we do, then most of our problems, guess what, would disappear with each other or at least would seem small and insignificant because life will not be about our own agendas and our own ways, but His. Not our wants, but His. It would be all about Christ's agenda in our life and theirs, and He would provide then all the wisdom and love and care we need to unite in His name. 
For in him we have everything we need so that we can give all that we have for his name's sake so we can be unified and united in him, our Lord. One Lord. Paul then says one faith. And what he is getting at is that all Christians are unified in the objective faith. The the, uh, objective faith of the Bible. The doctrines or teachings that are revealed in the scripture. Or simply put, united in Christianity. The one true religion, religion. Everything else is false. Sorry, folks. It's the truth. Or as Jude 3 says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, right? Common, this is all the same. Christians, all saved the same way. I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith. Not not necessarily our personal faith, but the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And you have it all in Scripture. And I know some of you are saying, well, wait. There are many godly Christians who believe different things, like different views of end times, or when to take the Lord's Supper, or how to take the Lord's Supper, or even different views of how to do church. And to say that, and to that I say, yes, yes there are. Christians view a lot of things differently, but all would agree that there is one objective faith, one true religion, and that is given in the Scripture. And although we may have different take on things stated in Scripture, the problem lies with us and our interpretive skills, not with Scripture. For there is only one Christian faith, and it's all found in the Bible. Now, before you go thinking, well, then it's just a free-for-all. We could do whatever we want. No, there are essential truths, though, of the one faith to which all Christians do agree on and to which the Bible actually makes very clear. And in fact, the Bible says there are doctrines to which all will hold to. And though we may be incorrect in our views of other things, like again, like the end times or church polity, there is foundational truths of the one faith which all will and must adhere to so that we can unify with each other. And if someone has it wrong, then you can't unify with it. And what is that? The gospel of God's grace. For Scripture itself, and this is not just my opinion, Scripture itself attests that the gospel is the doctrine of first importance or is the essential of the one faith which is revealed in Scripture. For it states in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-6, through 6, this is Paul speaking, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Notice the first importance. And here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. See how everything's kind of connected here? And oh, that, he was, that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 
So though there is much we as Christians disagree over, the gospel is not one of those disagreements. For all Christians believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. He died for our sins and was raised for us, paying off our debt by faith in him alone. So in him and to him and from him alone, we have salvation. It's not by what we do, it's all what has been done for us. Or as Paul so greatly and precisely put in Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That is the core of this one faith and why we can unify with so many different types of Christians in different denominations. Then Paul says one baptism. And here Paul is speaking about water baptism. For baptism is our identification with Christ by faith. For baptism is the public declaration of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins through faith in Him. Now, real quick, it's important to understand that Paul is not saying baptism unifies us in Christ. Our faith does that. What he is saying here is that our baptism unifies us with each other and other Christians around the world because it reveals that we all identify with Christ as our one and only Savior. So side note, if you haven't been baptized yet, I highly encourage you do. For stated here in this text, it's one of the things that we unify around and each other in the Lord. And if you haven't done so, I ask why? It says it right here. And lastly, we're coming to the end, Paul says in verse 6, And the one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And this brings us to our very last point. The elements of Christian unity is found in God the Father. And what we have here is Paul now focusing on the truth centering around God the Father that we are unified in. For God the Father is over us all, meaning all believers. For in this context of these, for that's the context of him, him writing this. He is the father of believers. People who are not a believer, father, their father is Satan. And they need Christ so they can be adopted. So he is over all, he is over us all in that he is working his supreme supremacy over the entire creation for his purpose, which is for the betterment of his people who are united in Christ. As stated in Ephesians 9, first, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. To this purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. He is through all, meaning that we are the very tools in which God works his power through to accomplish his purpose, as stated in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. And he is in all, meaning that he is in all believers. We are the very temple in which he dwells with here on earth, as stated in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. In him you are also being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what this basically means then, when you're dealing with other believers, don't forget that God is working with them just as much as he's working with you. 
He is just as much as them as he, as he is with you, even though you may highly disagree and your face may be turning red. So practically speaking, when we're dealing with each other or other Christians we don't know, or even especially them, especially some who are really different, like, okay, we're not seeing eye to eye on this issue or whatever it is, you need to realize that we are dealing with another child of God just like you. And this should cause us to love them and honor them and unite with them all the more for we are all of the same family. We have the same father. So then as we come to a close here, you might ask then, okay, what are all these truths that are related to the gospel message have to do with me? Well, what it means is that if we focus on these truths that are, that are related to the gospel, we will be able to unite, unite with one another or more specifically live in harmony with one another despite our differences and our annoyances. If we focus on what unites us together in the gospel, then when life hits hard, we will be able to encourage one another in the Lord rather than feel isolated and alone in the world. We will be eager to have each other's backs and support each other for our differences won't hinder us in coming together. We won't have to worry about being lectured or judged, but we can come to each other knowing that we are coming to a people who have our best interest in mind. And as we do so, and as we gather and unite in these truths that have been achieved for us by faith in Christ, as imperfect as we are, we will show the world that we are, his, we are the disciples of Christ because of our love for each other, even with our imperfections. Jesus said this very thing, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have a love for one another. And what better way to do that then than to unite and encourage one another in these truths and with other Christians in the world? But the best thing we can do is unite in these truths and proclaim the gospel to each other in the good times and in the bad times. For the gospel is all we have and is all we need. And the gospel is what this world needs, and we are the ones that God uses it to bring it to them. Amen? Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of coming together. God, we pray that right now, God, if there is anything that's hindering us from uniting with other Christians, God, I pray you just remove that. Help us remember that the cross has broken down those boundaries. God, I pray that even for maybe in our homes, Maybe there's Christians in our homes we're having a hard time uniting with. God, I pray that maybe spouses or our children or, or cousins or brothers and sisters, Lord, that, we, that, that we'll be able to break through those boundaries by your, by your grace and reach out and say, no, we're in this together. And God, I pray right now if someone doesn't know you, that, it, that is feeling alone and isolated and not knowing where to go, that, Lord, that you tell them that you want to adopt them. You want to love them. And that you sent your son so that they can have eternal life and salvation simply by trusting him alone and admitting they're a sinner in need of his grace and your grace. So God, we pray these things in your name. And we pray that you're also with our brothers and sisters across the world to say that we are united in this together. In Jesus' name, amen.